It is so exciting to be up here. If you don't know me, my name is Joey Metzler. I'm the youth pastor here on staff. Um, so I'm not usually the guy that's up here preaching on Sundays. I'd be Jeff, but I am so excited to be up here. It's an honor. It's a privilege to be up here to go through these scriptures, to uh, be able to explore, to be able to pursue truth together, to be able to ask and discern what, what, what is what does it mean, and how does it apply to our life? And I really believe that the more we study this, the more we know God. It changes how we view ourselves. It changes the way we view others. It changes how we live life. The message that we're going to be talking about has come out of a youth ministry series that we've been doing. Um, we did earlier in the year. This series was titled, Love Like Jesus. That's a big statement, right? We could spend our entire lives, we spend our entire lives discovering what does it actually mean to love like Jesus. So we just took different facets of it. We just looked at different elements of it with our students. It centered, the whole series centered around symbols. The first symbol, week one, the towel and the basin. We look at John chapter 13 and we see Jesus getting on his knees, washing the disciples' feet. And then he looks at them and he says this crazy thing. He says, just as I've washed your feet, go and wash one another's feet. And the beauty of that passage is that it's so much bigger than foot washing. To love like Jesus is to serve like Jesus. Then we went over to this week two. We looked at the cross itself. We said to love like Jesus, it doesn't just mean to serve like Jesus. It means to forgive like Jesus. And we love this cross, don't we? We love hoisting it up. We love everything that it symbolizes because it symbolizes that a God would love us so much that he comes, that he sends his only son to die for us, that he lives this perfect life, dies for our sin, uh, pays our debt on the cross, and through, through his death, we are able to have a restored relationship with God. He resurrects, conquers the grave, and we look at that, and we hoist it up, and we get so excited because of all that that symbolizes, and that's a good thing. But this cross, it just doesn't symbolize what Jesus did for us, right? We, we look at God, and we're like, we see our own depravity, we see our own sin, and we see the ways that we mess up on a daily basis, and we're like, God, I need more forgiveness, I need more grace, I need more mercy, but then we look at other people in our lives, and we withhold forgiveness from them. This cross, as much as it represents what God has done for us, it is a lifestyle, it is paving the way. It's a path we walk where we forgive one another because, man, don't we treat Jesus' words so lightly when he says, if you don't forgive one another's sins, then the God in heaven won't forgive your sins. To love like Jesus is to forgive like Jesus. Now we come over here. No symbol. The symbol will be revealed by the end of the message, but what I want to talk to you guys about this morning is to love like Jesus is to invest like Jesus. Not like money. Invest in relationships. Invest in people. To invest in community. 
Man, when we talk about Jesus, we love talking about why Jesus came, right? That's when all these really cool statements start popping up that we, many of us know in this room that, that why did Jesus come? He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to give his life as a ransom, a payment for sin. He came to give us life and life to the full, and all those are right and all of those are good, but few of us talk about how he came, if I were to look at this congregation, we were to have coffee, and I asked you, how did Jesus come? Many of you would have great responses. Some of you in this room, you'd look at me and you'd say, well, Jesus came preaching and teaching. And you'd be absolutely correct. That We see that in the Sermon on the Mount. We see that in the way that he taught and the way he interacted with Pharisees and other people that he talked to in his ministry. Some others of you would say that Jesus came healing and you'd be right, that Jesus, he, he gave sight to the blind, that he, he healed the sick, he rose people from the dead. Jesus did all of those things, but what I want you guys to see this morning is another aspect. Luke chapter 7, verse 34. Luke chapter 7, verse 34. We're not going to camp out here, but I, I think it's a great diving board for what we're going to get into this morning. Luke chapter 7, verse 34 says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. How did Jesus come? He came eating and drinking. See, Jesus was spending so much time with people in their homes, hanging out, breaking bread, that, that when people wanted to sling mud on him, they wanted to undermine his character, they looked at Jesus and they were like, he's a glutton, he's a drunkard, and more than that, he hung out with these people that none of us would want to be associated with, because what would the religious people say? He hangs out with those tax collectors. He hangs out with those sinners, the people that they didn't want to be associated with in their society. That's who Jesus identified with. He came eating and drinking. You see, Jesus loved people. He loved them. I love all of those moments that the Bible doesn't talk about. Maybe it's in your nightly reading and you, you're reading through one of the Gospels and you get to that chapter and you know Jesus is in some city or some town and then it picks up in the next chapter and he's in a different town. They didn't really cover all that travel that took place in between, but it happened. Traveling with Jesus. Likely they camped. Likely there would be a campfire. What would it be like to sit around a campfire with Jesus? Many of us have those experiences with our family, right? We know what it's like to go up to the mountains and chill and be able to uh, sit around a campfire with our family, or maybe it's just a fire pit in your own backyard. The stories that get told, reminiscing on, on these good memories, but what would it have been like to sit down across from a fire with Jesus, and you look across the fire pit, and it's his eyes you see? What would he have said? What would it have been like? What would he have taught? But then we have all those other stories in the Bible, don't we? The stories that we, that we have examples of, the accounts. We have, we have, well, I think of Lazarus, right? We're going through John right now, so spoiler alert, I'm about to give you a bunch of stories that are coming up. Uh, I think of Lazarus in John chapter 11. 
that, that Lazarus was Jesus' friend, and Jesus is hanging out, and, and somebody comes to him and gives him this message that Lazarus is sick. Jesus ends up going to this town, and Lazarus is already dead. He sees, he sees Mary and Martha and other Jews, and they're all sitting around, and they're crying. Why? Because Lazarus has died. And in uh, John's gospel, he says that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then we get that famous verse, right? Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? Because he loved Lazarus. His friend was dead. We have those other stories. The woman at the well. John chapter 4. One of my favorite verses in John chapter 4 is verse 4 where he says, uh, Jesus had to cut through Samaria. He said, Jesus saying, I have to cut through Samaria. It's a crazy verse because the disciples would have, could have looked back at Jesus and said, uh, actually, no, you don't. In fact, where they were traveling, there was actually a road that went around Samaria because we don't associate with those people. Those are half-breeds. They are lesser than us. You never want to cut through that area of town, that kind of neighborhood. But Jesus had to pass through Samaria. That's what he says. Why? Because I believe Jesus had a divine appointment with a woman, a Samaritan woman at a well. And in that conversation, he reveals that he truly is the Messiah. He's the one people have been waiting for. He is living water. I think of the, the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8 where Jesus is teaching. The Pharisees, likely it was a setup because they're trying to trap Jesus. This woman's been caught in the act. She's dragged through the streets, likely naked, thrown before Jesus, and they're like, what, do you, what do we, should we do with this woman? The men of the city have rocks in their hands, and they are going to throw rocks at this woman until she dies. Then Jesus draws the line. He says, you without, without sin cast the first stone. They all drop ro the rocks and they, they all leave. And Jesus, the only person who's qualified by that notion to throw rocks in this situation, because he is without sin, he walks up to her, man, I wonder how their eyes met. As she's looking through her hair, likely crying, embarrassed and ashamed. And he looks at her. And he says, where are your accusers? then neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Jesus loved people. Jesus loves you. When we look at how Jesus loved, we see that he invested his life, he invested in people. And the beautiful thing about this is he is inviting you, he's inviting me to do the same thing. We're a church. A lot of this connection between loving people is seen right here. The people you sit side by side with or in circles during the week. Let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is where we're going to camp. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and we're going to look through verse 47. Now, I know many of you have read this passage before. We went through a whole series on Acts in the summer, but I want you to read it with fresh eyes. As I'm reading through this passage, what words stick out to you? What ideas come to the forefront? 
This is about the early church. The church is taking off, and this is what is describing them. This is what life was like for the church. Check this out. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. This is my favorite part. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Does this look like your life? Does this look like your experience of church? Because if it doesn't, it can. It can. I look at this passage and I see devotion, commitment. I see others looking in and wanting to be a part. I think, I think of this idea of meeting needs and nobody had needs. If you're not experiencing this in your life, you can. And I know I ask that question knowing that many of you aren't. That when you look at this passage, you're like, ah, I, I just don't. I'm not experiencing those types of things. And we know that it only gets harder. But why is it so hard to find connection? Why is it so hard to find community? Well, our culture and technology don't help, right? That's for sure. We, I was reading a book on this. In fact, it, it's our culture and our technology. We're the most connected generation that there's ever been, yet we're the loneliest. Our, our culture, our technology specifically, is making us more isolated. And hear this, your faith was not meant to be lived out in isolation. The book I've been reading, it went through all these different technological advances, most of, many of them before my time. But they changed, they shaped culture. One of them was the air conditioner. So apparently, back in the day, like when it got hot in the house, people actually had to go outside at night and sit on their front porch and that's how you escape the heat. And everybody's sitting on their front porches and you're talking to your neighbors and you're seeing people. But then all of a sudden this handy dandy device comes in and it's called the air conditioner. I don't got to go outside. In fact, I don't even want to open a window because that's wasting money, right? And it's like, we don't need to see other people. We can experience the coolness in our own homes. I think about the garage door, right? The garage itself was usually detached from the rest of the house. People would have to get out of their car sometimes and even lift the garage or type in the code. But now it's attached, and now we have this, like, handy-dandy button, and we just get to click it, and it's like magic, and it, like, lifts up, and we just get to drive on in. And then we hit the garage thing on the inside, it shuts, and we go in the back door. We don't got to see anybody. I think of fencing in our yards. I think of gated communities. I think of the phone. So apparently back in the day, they had this thing that hung on the wall, and like when it would ring, you had to answer it every time. 
because you didn't know who it was going to be and there's no way to screen your calls. So it's like, every, this could be important, I gotta pick it up. But then this invention came out called voicemail. Hello, you've reached the voicemail box of Joey Metzler. Please leave a message after the beep. Hey, Joey, this is Jeff Gilboy. Oh, not answering that one. <laughs> and then on top of that, we got caller ID, so now we just hit that handy-dandy button on the side if we don't recognize the number, and then we don't have to talk to them at all. I think of online shopping. Me and my wife, we use Shipt or we use some of these things where we don't even have to go to the grocery store because a delivery guy will go and pick out our groceries that we selected online and then just deliver it right to our front door. I think of uh, Instagram and text message that we don't see each other face to face, that we post statuses on social media, we post pictures on social media, and there's this weird thing that happens, I think, where it's like, when somebody likes that picture or likes that status, it's not like them just saying, I liked that. It's like they're saying that they like me. And it gives us this sense of connection, this immediate gratification, because we just want to be liked. We want to be individualistic, but we want community, and we're trying to live in the gray. If we're honest, when we read the things and acts, these are things that are hard to find. Instead, this is more of our church reality. So I took this passage, and to prove a point, I rewrote it using the opposites of everything in the passage to draw a comparison. Listen to this. The Christians were devoted to themselves and occasionally got to church when they had time. No one was filled with awe because there were no signs and wonders performed by the believers. Very few of the believers were together, and they had almost nothing in common because they'd had no real time with each other. If they sold something, they used the money to buy something better for themselves. They ate on the run, kept to themselves, and were too rushed to enjoy one another or give praise to God. They claimed to love God, but they didn't really love each other, and they felt empty and alone. As a result, most people disliked them, and very few people ever got saved. Ouch. Ouch. And I know writing that is a slight exaggeration, but I'm afraid, I have this fear that what I read on here we experience more in Christianity and church than what we read in here. That's my fear. That's my concern. That that's not where we are today is what we see in this book. But what I want us to tell us, what I, what I want everyone to hear is that God wants us to experience something so much better. Community, connection, relationship. How do we get it? Where do we find it? One, we make church, we make living out our faith among other believers a priority. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I read these two verses and I get super pumped and excited because what I see in these verses is presence is powerful. 
Presence is powerful. We see, Jeff has talked about this in the past. Uh, he, he emphasizes a lot that we are part of the body of Christ, that everyone has a role. We wouldn't, our, bot, our hand wouldn't look at our foot and say, hey, I don't need you. In the same way, our thumbs wouldn't look at the rest of the body and say, you know, you don't need me. Everybody has a gift. Everybody has a role to play. So when you're not here, we're actually missing something. God has uniquely gifted you to add to our church body. Your presence and the presence of others is powerful. We get this though, right? We understand that. We see this in other areas of our lives. We see it in um, those movies or those TV shows about the absentee parent, right? Where it's kind of that awkward relationship where they have like this loose relationship with their parent, and, but they're there, but they're not really there. In fact, anytime that they want to spend time together with their parent, their parent's just like, you know, here's the credit card. Just go and do whatever you want. Just get out of my hair. And then it boils to, the, to this climax of the film, and they get in this big argument, and the parent's looking at the kid as they're this ungrateful person because they've given them all this money and all these things to do, and they're like, what else do you want me to do? What else can I give you? And the kid almost looks back at their parent, and they're like, I just want you. I just want you. Presence is powerful. It's that difference between when you share something that you're struggling with and another Christian says, man, I'll pray for you. Man, that is a great thing. But it's the difference between saying, I'll pray for you, and then somebody putting their hand on your shoulder and say, we're going to pray about that right now. Presence is powerful. It's like if I looked at all of us in this room, or I looked at my family, and I said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have a project. We're going to go to all these different rooms in Grandview, or in all these rooms in the house, and we're going to watch the same movie on Netflix. We're going to watch it together, but in different rooms of the house. By the end of it, we would ha- all have the same information. We have all experienced the same thing, but there's just something different about sitting on the couch with somebody and watching the movie together. Presence is powerful. I say all of that to say this. Don't reduce fellowship. Don't reduce worship to listening to a podcast. Church is so much more than sitting in seats and listening to somebody talk. We're supposed to be doing something. We're supposed to be living something. In many cases, church is what happens when we leave this place. Two, it's not just about going to church. We must be intentional. Make it happen. Seek it out. What groups are you already a part of? How can we make that more intentional or more meaningful? A lot of us in our life groups, or when we get together, we we share prayer requests and we pray, but those very prayer requests become the things that we can check in on people with. We can meet needs in our own church body. We can set our phone aside and meet face-to-face over coffee, because here's the reality, nobody drifts towards excellence. Meaningful community doesn't just happen. It's cultivated in the mess, in the dirt, in the trenches over time. So start today. Start today. Before we end, if I asked you this week to come up on stage 
to be a helper in a sermon illustration, now is your moment. So come on and make your way up. I want you guys to see something. I think it's going to be super cool. So as these people make their way up, let's give them a hand. Look at these. So the people that are coming up on this stage, what I want you guys to see is this is just a sample size. This group really just represents this greater church. I just couldn't fit you all up on stage this morning. There's too many of you guys. So I want you guys to come over here. This is the symbol I was talking about. You're the symbol. I want you guys to get into a huddle. Arms around, yeah, just like Bill. Get into a huddle. All right, what I want you to see first is that when you see this huddle, we have Bill, and across from Bill is Elam, and Brady, across from Brady is my wife, Gabriella. Shane is across from Ivy. There's people in this huddle. I believe that each and every one of us have this deep desire to know and be known by others. So we see these people this is the huddle. Many of us watch sports, right? We see TV, we see it on TV, we gather in stadiums to watch it. The huddle is a big deal because the huddle is where the plan happens. This is where the strategy takes place. It's personal. Everybody in the huddle is on the same team. And they're all trying to push towards a goal. They're all trying to, they've defined a win and they're trying to get there together. That's what the huddle looks like. What's cool about the huddle and what's cool about church is we can encourage one another. In Hebrews, when we're, when we're this close, when we're huddled up, we can encourage one another. We see each other closely. We know what's happening in each other's lives. People know what's happening in ours. If we're struggling, we have people on either side of us that can help hold us in place. See, a lot of times in Christian culture, a lot of times in churches, we are more known for shooting our wounded and eating our own and not for building one another up. What could that look like to look across the table from somebody and say, man, I see this gift in you. I think God has blessed you in this way. Let me come alongside and help you to hold you up in a time in which you're struggling. So we have encouragement but we also have blind spots. If I stood right here, Brady can't see me. <laughs> Bill's looking me in the eye, though. Blind spots. Blind spots. When you're living in the huddle, when you're living in the community, you have people in your lives that know you, that see you closely. They can, likely many of you are coming out of a season or going into a season that somebody else has already been through. They could see things coming that maybe you couldn't see. They see something lurking in the darkness or in the shadows that can be called out before it comes and gets you. Blind spots. That's what the church, they give insight that we wouldn't otherwise have. So I want you to see when we look at this huddle that really it's all of us in this huddle. All of us in this church community are in this huddle, in this together towards the goal. I want you to understand that we can do better if we want better. Don't passively wait for community to happen to you or for someone else to come up with the idea because nobody drifts towards excellence. 
create it. May it be said of us, ooh, ooh. may it be said of us as it was said of them. May people look at how we love each other at the way church And people look who are isolated and alone, who are looking for community and connection, and they see how we love one another, and they say, what makes that group so special? And we get to look them in the eye, and we get to look at them and say, Jesus. Jesus. Maybe it could be said of us as it was said of them that the Lord added to their number daily those who are being Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, that's what we want. Many many of us live our lives in isolation. Many of us desire connection, but we don't know where to find it. Many of us desire community, but we don't know how to take part. I pray you embolden us. I pray that we're able to embody the huddle, that we're able to embody your body of Christ. that the church can be lived out among us. Meet us wherever we're at. Guide us this week going forward. We love you, Lord. It's in your name. Amen.